Hello, and welcome to the Nourish Circle podcast. I am Laurie Schertzamudio, a registered dietitian living and working in the greater Toronto area in Ontario, Canada, and host of this podcast. Join me as I have amazing conversations with some badass practitioners working in the health at every size and non-diet spaces. My hope is that we through this podcast, we can create a circle of humans that continues to nourish us wherever we are on this journey. Before I get into um, talking a little bit about my guest today, I just wanted to say that I have recorded the next few podcasts that come out a while ago, and I just want to apologize to my guests for not getting them out really, really quickly because everyone donates their time um, for these podcasts and their expertise. And to be honest, um, as I'm speaking right now, it is July the 6th, 2020. And, you know, the COVID quarantine um, in my area has been going on for a while, as well as so many other things in the world. And I'm going to be honest, um, my kids had been struggling with being Um, out of school, with being away from their friends, with, you know, just being in the house and not having normalcy and seeing things that are going on in the news. And I really needed to step back from a lot of things and spend some time focusing on my children and myself. Um, My personal anxiety level has been very high and I needed to do some things to to get that under control um, as best that I can and cope. Um, with what's going on as well as help my children cope. So again, I just really want to acknowledge that my guests come on and they volunteer their time after I ask them. Um, I actually, not really many people have said no when I've asked them to come on. And uh, this is a tiny little podcast and I really just want to highlight the voices of people, you know, making a big difference in the world and Um, fighting against so many different systems of oppression and, you know, fighting for different body sizes and um, fighting for um, individuals of different races. And so I just, again, just want to say thank you and apologize for having um, taken a halt for a little bit to really focus on my family. And these are some really great conversations that you're going to hear in the next little while. I think I'm going to roll them out pretty quickly um, because I've, I've got a little bit of time to do some editing, uh, which really I don't edit the conversations. Um, what I edit is this part that I talk before and try and clip it all together. So that being said, I hope you also um, can take a little bit into consideration that the timing of things, as we know, in 2020, things have changed in the first six months uh, really quickly. We went from talking about this potential virus that we'd heard about to um, staying in our houses for long periods of time and remote schooling our kids um, for those of us that have children. I'm not going to call it homeschooling because I think that people who do homeschooling um, have a very different experience as to the remote schooling that was happening in my house of working and attempting to do school um, and not being able to do other activities. Um, And so, yeah, there's just been a lot of things. So I just want to say thank you for downloading and listening to any um, of these episodes. I am so appreciative um, because, I again, I just really want to share the voices of 
different um, individuals than myself that have so many amazing lived experiences that can talk to us about them and share them and there's so many people um, doing amazing amazing work Um, so if you can find them um, and follow them and pay for any content that they have up that is you know being offered um, that really helps support the individuals that I've been speaking to as well as other individuals doing some really great work so um I guess that's enough of me kind of chatting so I know that July is usually a, a lower podcast download month so um hopefully uh you're taking some time to you know download and listen to some of these great podcasts that we have coming up because I know summer's a bit different while it's summer in my part of the world, a bit different um, for many. So I, just as a random thing, um, I usually listen to my podcast when I commute for work, not mine specifically, but the podcast that I listen to. And I'm working from home, so my commute is probably 30 steps. Um, And what I'm finding is I've been listening to podcasts while I do the dishes. Uh, There's a lot of dishes in quarantine um, in my house, can I just say, and other random times of um, it's kind of like my version of screen time right now. My kids get their screen time. I get podcast screen time. So I I think that there's probably different ways than you're used to listening, whether it's you would listen to podcasts on a commute as well. And you're now, you know, maybe going for a walk or sitting quietly or hopefully quietly. Um, So I know that everything is Um, changing and different so I'm assuming how people which I probably shouldn't assume but how people even consume this um, is different so as always I'm interested in hearing any feedback um, about that or you know what's going on in your parts of the world Um, I find it super interesting so again this is enough of me talking because today Um, You are going to hear an interview that I did with Christina Johnson, who is a registered dietitian based in Dallas, Texas, who specializes in eating disorders, disordered eating, and intuitive eating. She practices from a weight-inclusive, haze-informed social justice framework. She loves to help her clients find their passions in life and put food back in its place. She is the host of the podcast Intuitive Eating for the Culture, and when she's not working with clients, she's either reading a book with a warm mug of tea or coffee in hand, or trying to find a hiking trail. I really, really enjoyed um, speaking with Christina. Um, Her website is called The Encouraging Dietitian, and I love the name. So we had a little bit of a chat about how that came to be. Um, We talked a bit about her process of getting into dietetics, um, how she became uh, a weight-inclusive, haze-informed, social justice-informed dietitian, Um, how she felt dietitians um, worked with individuals in her family before she became one and how that really informs her practice. Um, Christina was just, again, a joy to speak to. Um, This was recorded in May, I believe. Again, what is time in my brain right now? I'm not sure. Um, And so, again, what we talk about in May probably drastically changed in June. My hope is to have this out for you in the beginning of June, but life happens. Um, And so I'm just trying to normalize that we're not all getting things done right now. So again, I really, really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And um, I look forward to um, 
talking to you again soon. Please, everybody, take care. Hello, Christina. Welcome to the Nourish Circle podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited you could join us. Um, it's, well, we were just chatting a little bit before we started, and it's raining where you are and super, super sunny where I am. So we are in totally separate parts of the world right now, even weather-wise. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much. Before I get started, um, I'd just like to ask everyone if there are any privileges or identities that they're comfortable sharing with the audience before we get started that might inform some of the answers that you give. Yes, so I am a cisgendered heterosexual female in an able body, and this piece will come in a little bit more later. I am um, here in America. I am of the dominant religion, Christianity. Okay. Uh, thank you for sharing. Um, that's, I think, in all honesty, I always ask this question at the beginning of my podcast, um, but I think it's the no, I think that maybe the second or third time um, religion has been mentioned in privileges and identities. And I think it's so important uh, when we do that to try and list as many as possible because it really just does um, help us really understand some of the answers from the viewpoints of everyone that when they're speaking. So thank you for sharing that. You're um, so I know that you're a registered dietitian, um, as am I. And I also know from being in the field for 15 years that we all kind of take very, very different paths um, to how we got into dietetics, why we stayed, or how we changed. And so I know this is a super huge question, um, but I was just wondering if you could share a little bit or as much as you want, you can fill hours if you would like, um, as your path to becoming an RD, um, especially how you kind of got into the way you're practicing now. Yeah, so it started with my, a lot of my family has chronic illness. Um, I think it's also important to point out that I am black. I am a black American. Um, some people like to use the term African American, you use whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, but having like come from that background, a lot of my family members have chronic illness, and I'm not blaming that on their blackness. I'm saying those two spaces intersect at the same time. And um, watching them live with chronic illness and watching them feel not heard in the healthcare setting was really frustrating to me. And so I decided to um, figure out a way to get into that space so that I could make people feel heard, people that look like me. And so as I got older and that evolved, it became wanting to become a dietitian because I didn't want to start my career after 30 had I become a doctor. And so I decided, okay, I'll, I'll go to school, I'll become a dietitian. And I very quickly realized how much of my my own relationship with food played into my decision to become a dietitian. And so I did a lot of work around healing that relationship and making sure that if I'm going to sit in session with someone that I'm not spouting off something that's going to be potentially harmful for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I, I, I went through college, I went to school in Arkansas, University of Arkansas. I made it into grad school only after I didn't get into an internship the first time because that's a thing. It happens. Yep. Got to make sure we normalize that part. Sure. And then um, I went to grad school, which was a great time. I had free therapy, which I absolutely loved, and applied for an internship and did it again one second time because that's a thing. It happens. I got to normalize that second time too. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> and then I actually matched second round of my internship and ended up in Oklahoma. And I'm so grateful for that experience to have been in like a part of the world that I never would have intended to be in. Mm-hmm. But getting able, being able to see so many different walks of life and how nutrition impacts all of them. And while I was in grad school the second time, um, 
I was, I made an Instagram, which is the Instagram that you found me through. And I stumbled upon the intuitive eating health at every size community. And I had like, in my mind in grad school in Texas had started to come to the conclusion of like, look, if I eat how much my body's asking me for, I'm sure it will tell me to stop. Like I just kept believing that that had to be true. Mm-hmm. And then I stumbled upon the intuitive eating uh, corner of the universe. And that just like opened my eyes and made me feel so much more welcome to practice. Cause I just didn't want to go into a weight normative uh, sphere. I felt like if that's what I had to do, I probably wouldn't have practiced as a dietitian. And so I'm really grateful for that. And then the rest is history. Cool. That's a great history. Um, I'm interested a little bit about what you said about uh, your family members not being heard in healthcare spaces. And I was just wondering what, if you could speak to that a little bit and what you might be doing in your practice, if that's something that you were um, kind of working against so that you could hear more, I guess, for lack of a better word, um, when you were working. Does that make sense? Yeah. So again, this is, it's important to point out the fact that we are black in health and needing to navigate healthcare in a black body. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they would go to the doctor and not feel heard or several of my family members needed to go to dietitians and dietitians being well-meaning as they are would tell them not to eat the things that are very inherent to their culture, very inherent to our family culture, very inherent to being a black person in America. And to me, that was not listening. I think it's important that as someone's coming into your office, that you hear their whole person. And for you to tell me that I can't have X, Y, or Z thing, even though that's very innate to my culture, it's very innate to um, connecting to my family, that's really hard for me to hear. And it makes it a lot more difficult to implement what you're asking me to do if I feel like you didn't even respect who I am. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we don't... Listen and hear are two totally different things. Um, and, and I think we're not really trained, at least I found in Canadian education for dietetics, we're not really trained to listen. We're trained to hear three words and then fix. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, not even trained to listen so much as we're trained to have an entire assessment done before we walk in the door. Yes. Oh, and that's then so really, funny. I'm just listening to see if you confirmed what I already thought. Yeah. Yes. And even you have that almost that plan of what you're going to do with a client before you see them. Mm-hmm. You line up your handouts, right? That, at least that's the way I was trained um, in my internship. Um, you, you know that from whatever referral or chart you have in front of you, you should give them this, this, and this, and you're going to say this. And yeah, you don't listen to what the client wants all the time. Um, I think that's beautiful. And I think it's something that being with the clients is one of the most important things I feel as dietitians we can do. And I think that um, they don't get that in a lot of realms of healthcare. So I always feel it's important to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for listening. <laughs> I think it's a wonderful, wonderful skill. Um, I'm also, when I was listening to your story, you said that you discovered intuitive eating and health at every size in kind of like Instagram world. Um, And I'm wondering when you were discovering that, if it was going against what you were actually learning in school and how you kind of reconciled the two. It was kind of like trying to put oil in water. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good analogy for that. (laughs) (laughs) If I 
could be a dietitian for just 2.5 seconds. It's like trying to put oil in water. Yeah. I, all of my programs were very weight normative. I think the closest thing I'd heard to intuitive eating in the, at that point in time, like six years I'd been in school, was Ellen Satter's Division of Responsibility. Okay, yeah. And I'd heard about um, her definition of, quote, normal eating. Mm-hmm. But that only applied to adolescents. That did not apply to adults. And I thought that was really interesting. Even at the time when I heard that, I was like, wait, so that's only for kids? Like, wait, what happened? Why am I not allowed to eat that way? That's a fair question to ask, right? And and it's so true. I do think we, um, one of the things that we have done with Division of Responsibility is kind of cap it at, okay, you're this age now, so now we move you into diet culture. It almost feels like that sometimes. Although children are often put on diets as well, so I guess it doesn't always happen that way, but... One can hope, right? Yeah. Um, and I was, I admittedly do not know much about Texas or Oklahoma. Was there a big difference when you were in grad school from one to the other? From what you were seeing with clients or working with or anything? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had the privilege of um, moving a few times in my educational career. And then I'm originally from Missouri, so I'm not technically a Southerner. Okay. <laughs> I'm also not technically a Texan. I am a Texan by choice. Yeah. I have that bumper sticker on my car. Oh, um, I love it. <laughs> and going from Missouri to the South by moving to Arkansas was such a culture shock for me to see like the difference in eating, the difference in um, like lifestyle. And then going from Arkansas to Texas was so different because I live in Dallas, which is a pretty urban area to live. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything's legitimately bigger in Texas. Like it's not a joke. It's, Oh really? It's serious. It's a fact of life. It just is what it is. Um, a lot of the people that I work with, um, who are not necessarily native to Texas or are not native to America, oftentimes comment on how they've gained weight since moving to America because our portions are larger. Mm, It's a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's okay. I'm not, I'm not too worried about that, but I think the difference was like being, in an area, at least in Texas, where I did feel safe as a black person, mm-hmm. um, for the most part, then going to Oklahoma, where I distinctively remember not feeling safe and having to walk into these rooms to counsel people, not knowing if they were going to listen to me. Wow. That must be um, a little bit overwhelming, especially when you're in grad school and doing your internship. And I personally found I was scared. I had imposter syndrome through the whole thing and didn't think I knew what I was talking about. Um, and then to have that extra layer of your safety, like feeling that on top of it, that must have been quite a lot to work through while you were doing that difficult workup internship. Yeah, it was hard to, um, I always had to psych myself out to walk into these rooms to figure out like, is this person even going to talk to me? Because like there's times where they just don't want to talk to me. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. And I'm not going to chalk it always up to like me being a black person. Sometimes it's just them not wanting to talk because they're tired or they've had people coming in and all day poking at them. So I understand. Mm -hmm. I just think it was a difficult spot to be in to try to figure out who I am as a dietitian Mm -hmm. whilst also trying to figure out like, how do I command respect in this setting as a, a professional when the profession is already not respected in some respects? Yeah, no, I feel that as, as well. Um, that's a lot to be maneuvering in that time. I've, yeah, cause I find internship just to be overwhelming in general, um, and then be maneuvering through that space. Um, and, and I just, just not to backtrack and dwell on it, but I love the fact that you were like, we're going to normalize the not getting internship right away. 
because I think so many people um, feel it's the, the end if they don't get it the first time. And I think we lose some really great potential RVs because of that. Yeah, I think not not having enough space to have people be in their internship. I also think, and I think the process all the way through is just a really not well-built process, if you ask me, but nobody asked me. Um, oh, I agree with you and no one's asked just, me either. It's not well-built. Like, it is not built to weed through and find the people who are going to make the best dietitians. It's built to weed through who is going to make the best dietitian on paper. Yeah. And that there's a huge difference between the best dietitian on paper and the best dietitian in practice. Like some of the best dietitians I know didn't look that great on paper as an intern. I can tell you, I did not look that good on paper <laughs> personally. Um, I was quite surprised when I actually got one. Um, and there's also the privilege of, I don't know what it's, the difference is, but when we do our internship, you're not classified as a student unless you're doing the master's route, um, but you're not paid. So you have your 48 weeks of internship, which is like the full-time job without getting any income. And you really can't work on top of it because you really don't have time. Um, so there's that extra privilege of being able to support yourself during that chunk yeah. of time and start paying back your student loans. Oh because, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I was no longer considered a student, so I had to start paying back my student loans. Yeah, it's it's pretty similar here in that most internship programs like request pretty strongly that you don't work, mm -hmm. which I agree. Like you're already working a full time job, but it's more than a full time job because yeah, mm -hmm. you might report to your internship for forty hours this week, but you still have commute time. You still have time where you come home and you're working on projects. Maybe you're still in school at the same time. Like it is more than a 40 hour job. Let's just 100%. be honest here. And let's also not forget that like being an internship, like being an intern is so different than being a registered dietitian. I don't have to prove to anyone at this point that I am worthy of being a dietitian. I'm a dietitian. I have my credentials. I'm fine. Yeah. Being a dietitian, you are constantly proving like I deserve to be here. I, it's an interview every single day. Like I need to report on time. I need to look a certain way. I need to behave a certain way. I need to ask the right questions. I need to do this. I need to do that. That amount of energy that you're using on top of reporting to work for 40 hours a week on top of doing schoolwork projects, like, and you don't get paid a dollar. Nope. <laughs> no. Wow. It's, it's so, it's so hard um, to, Yeah. I don't even have words anymore for it. I think I cried every day during my internship. If I'm oh, I cried so many times. Yeah. I cried. I would just come home and pass out. I think, thankfully, Instagram gave me access to a community of interns. And we were able to, like, I was able to reach out to them and be like, guys, is this normal how I'm feeling? But I feel like, you know, however I was feeling at that particular moment in time and being able to be validated by other people who are going through the same process. Like, yes, I feel exhausted all of the time. Yes, I am more hungry than normal because I'm using so much energy. Yes, yeah. it's okay to feel how you feel. Yeah, I love that you found a community on Instagram. I did my internship way before there was an Instagram or a Twitter or an anything. <laughs> um, but that, that must have been so life-saving. So you had your intern Instagram group, your Hayes Intuitive Eating Discovery. Social media was very helpful for you, it sounds like. I, time. as I'm sitting here thinking about it, can honestly say social media is the reason I have the career I do right now. Wow, that's a huge statement. Um, very cool and very positive when you think about it. And most people don't talk about social media in any positive context, at least I find. 
Um, yeah, it has its downfalls, but yeah. finding that intuitive eating in that Hayes community yeah. gave me all the validation I could have ever needed that I would be a great dietitian to do that. Mm-hmm. And that was what I needed was that validation that I could be a dietitian who didn't prescribe people diets, but instead helped them find freedom so they can do other things in their life. Yeah. And I feel like I say that at least once a day, but that's literally how I describe my job is giving, helping people find freedom to do other stuff in their life. Yeah. And having that community and seeing other people who were doing it gave me all the freedom in the world to do it. And it gave me the courage to start my private practice at, quote, a young age. And when I say young age, I mean my, like a young dietitian age. I started my private practice within like six months of becoming a registered dietitian. So. Wow, that is fairly quick. That's fairly quick, but I felt confident in doing it because I knew, I knew I had the skill set. I knew I was never going to feel, quote, ready. And then I also knew how to reach out and ask for support. I knew how to find a supervisor to supervise my cases. So I wasn't out here just freewheeling it, harming mm-hmm. people. So I was like, okay, let's do it. But I don't think I would have even remotely had that confidence and that surety to do it had I not been on Instagram. So this, not to put you on the spot with this, but if you had um, an intern say, what are four, four or five accounts that you think I should follow to help inspire me in the um, intuitive eating um, Hayes world to kind of help me stay on track, what might you suggest? And I'm also very aware of the fact that probably 50 are coming to your brain. Um, but what might be a oh top friend. four? <laughs> uh, my top four are definitely going to be Evan Tripoli. You got to go follow the original, the originator. Um, 100%, yeah. And when she throws up the stats and the graphs, I'm always like, oh, I love it. The science and the quotes. And then she also gives us shots of the beach, which is lovely. Because I also think it's really important to, like, have a balance between, like, serious business, quote, serious business of, like, intuitive eating and stuff. But I think it's important to have fun stuff on your timeline. So she gives me, like, serious business intuitive eating. But then she also gives me her fabulous laughter, which really brings joy. And she gives me shots of the beach, which I love. So... It's a great follow all the way around. 100%. Highly suggest. Mm -hmm. Um, My second one would probably be, I feel like this is a shameless plug for Julie Duffy Dillon. I absolutely adore her. I'm so grateful to have met her and to be able to learn from her. Bless Mm her. Oh, 100%. she's she's fun and I have I just I love her like gray streaks as they're coming in they Mm -hmm. feel so so warm and comforting to me yes like just she feels warm and comforting to me she's so authentic like Mm -hmm. just just yes I and I love it yes I agree I love it um number three would be mm, that's I have so many. It's so hard to pick. I think I'm really enjoying, and this one is for like females or people who identify as females, people who are trying to get pregnant. Um, Mackenzie, I think her last name is Caldwell. She's women's health dietitian. Mm-hmm. She was Feeders S for forever, but she changed to women's health dietitian. I have enjoyed watching her content grow and evolve and just like the simple ways to take care of yourself, like to take care of your body and to like, if you should choose to have children, like if that's what you're gunning for, or if that's like um, something you're currently in the midst of like dealing with, like the information that she gives is so like, so like on point, mm-hmm. but then also so inclusive. Yeah. Cause it's very much like it's that. And then the intersection of that and like gestational diabetes and 
it's so hard to find someone that talks about gestational diabetes without putting you on a diet. Yeah. So true. (laughs) Yeah. So I've loved following her. And then I think hmm, the fourth person, Hayes Intuitive Eating. Um, I think Christy Harrison is up there. Yes. Gotta, yeah. gotta mention Christy Harrison. I think um, following her, I've learned so much from her, but then having like the chance to talk to her and meet her in person. And she she's so good with the research behind diet culture. Yeah. And like pointing out the nonsense because there is nonsense in diet culture. The whole thing is nonsensical, but like mm-hmm. the like deeply rooted nonsense. And so I've really, really enjoyed having those four on my timeline to like learn from because I'm always learning but then also to like sometimes they'll break it up with stuff like Mackenzie's always showing us what she's cooking and she shows us her new dog and like just all this this lovely things and like I don't know I just whenever I'm following someone I like to make sure that it's not just like a really sterile account yeah like that's really important to me to have like yeah you're giving me information but what else are you adding to my life like can you give me an experience that I can't get where I'm at Oh, I, I love that analogy. I never really thought about that. But yeah. it's so true. When I'm sitting here thinking about accounts that I gravitate to, it's the ones that have, you know, like, quote, quote, cool picture. <laughs> quote, 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 cool picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the, oh, the pretty flowers. Be, yeah, we're not all going to be in Texas, right? So, like, some of these people are on the East Coast. They're in North Carolina. Um, Evelyn's out on the West Coast. She's in California. Like, being able to like see these other things that they have access to. Like I can't just walk to the beach. I don't live close enough. No. Yeah. I love Evelyn's account in the middle of January because I'm freezing Holden in the middle of snow and I'm like, Oh, look at the water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. so true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm wondering if it was because of your following all of these very cool people online that you were able to come up with such a cool private practice name for yourself. I love your business name um, because I think as dietitians, we are taught to tell and to fix and your business name is the encouraging dietitian and it's so beautiful. So I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about how you came up with that name or how you feel grounded in that name, whatever came up for you. Cause I really do love it. Thank you. It. So this is where I mentioned at the top of this, where my privilege, my like religion privilege came in, mm-hmm. in that that was something, this was, I still like remember sitting in my room in grad school in Texas, like trying to figure out, cause I was just kind of like, you know, reading, praying, like trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my career. Cause I, at that point I still hadn't even, I was trying to apply for internships and I wasn't sure if I was going to do it that time or not. And I just was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go out on a limb. I'm going to do it. And I remember being like, what kind of dietitian do I want to be? And I found the journal that I wrote it in and I said, I want to be an encouraging dietitian. Hmm. And so I was like, okay, yeah. Like, and it, I, that was probably a solid year before I even made my account. Like, like just was like, that's the kind of dietitian I want to be. I want to be an encouraging dietitian. And so when I made my account, I did the millennial thing, I guess would be, I researched to make sure that if I choose this to be my name, I can use it across all platforms or whatever I wanted to use it across. Mm-hmm. So I like ran a quick Googler to make sure, okay, like no one else has this or anything like this. And when I came to the conclusion, no, that's not a thing. Cool. Let's do it. And then it became this thing of like, I wanted to make sure that when you sat down with me for a session, no matter what we were talking about, 
even if you don't leave feeling like sunshine and rainbows, you leave feeling encouraged that you can do it. Oh, that's lovely. And I think that is so incredible because again, um, I have, I've worked with a lot of RDs who are in the non-diet haze spaces. And one of the things that I hear frequently is that I felt like I didn't do enough in that session, that I should have given them something, that I should have, you know, given them more. Whereas when you're encouraging, it's you're sitting with your client, listening, and getting that story and just encouraging them in the direction that they want to go into which mm-hmm. is so lovely and so needs to be um, like a, what are those things we have to get when we do our internship? You know, your competency. It should be a competency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it should be a competency. Yeah. I think it's so important for, this goes back to what we were saying earlier. I feel like it's important for the client to feel heard. Yeah. Like sometimes my session, you know, the average person would walk away from that feeling like, Christina, you didn't check the boxes. Like you didn't do this, 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 and this. And I'm going to be like, no, but I can tell my client felt heard. Like mm-hmm. this thing that was causing them turmoil, we talked about how that was affecting them and how that was affecting the way that they experienced their body and their relationship with food. I think that that is significantly more impactful for their long-term well-being to learn how to do that than to check a box. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It's, yeah, I just, I, like, I, I'm going to trip over it, but I, I just love the word encouraging. Um, and I love that you searched about it on all, across all platforms. That is so not what a Gen Xer like me would have thought to do. <laughs> I'm like, that, yeah. you said that and my head went, that's brilliant. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I wanted to make sure that no matter what I did with this, like, it was me and mm-hmm. I didn't have to be like well I'm on this platform is this but I'm on this platform is that because that name was already taken because if that name was already taken that means someone else felt like they were the encouraging dietitian and I don't think that they are I'm not saying that you're not a dietitian who encourages people but I don't think that um that they were going to embody it the way that I can embody it no I just and I love the way you found it written in a journal and it just seems so perfect to me um Speaking of social media, you had a tweet recently that went a little viral, maybe a lot viral. Um, And so I just, I wanted to chat with you about it because I I know we talked before we hit record that that was not what you were expected when you wrote it. You were just kind of writing one day. So I'm going to read it out so that everyone knows what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's funny because I just looked at the date of it and I was like, oh, what month is five? Um, It was on May 16th, I think, um, or I retweeted it on May 16th. Um, your summer body is one that quarantined to flatten the curve, the one that fed a community, the one that frontline, the one suddenly homeschooling, the one trying to make ends meet, the one that survived COVID. Your current body is worthy of sunshine. Your body is good. And just for reference, for anybody who is listening to this episode, um, not when it's released or going back. Um, today's date is May 25th, um, 2020. So in Ontario, where I am, we are on week 11 of um, being in our homes. Texas, I think, is a little bit different. You, oh, we've we're we've um, lifted our shelter in place. Okay. So we are allowed to go back out into the world, and you can imagine how well that's going. I. I'm a little scared to imagine. I'm not going to lie. 
Um, I, just because we had nice weather here this past weekend and there's pictures of so many people out in places and on the beach without masks next to each other, but you know, yes, in the middle of parks. Yeah. Um, oh, I know. And so we are kind of, you know, this deep into COVID-19 and what the world is going through. And there was not there was, there still is, has been a lot of posting on social media about the, sorry to use numbers, but the COVID-15 or the COVID, you know, diet and all this kind of stuff. And your tweet just kind of came out of the frustration of all of that. Am I right? Mm-hmm. It was, I did not want to see another home workout. I did not want to see another before before and after Barbie comparison where you come out of quarantine in a larger body, I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I like, cause I, I think as a product of my own relationship with food and how much I care for my body now as like my, my vessel to accomplish my mission, I can see like, if I'm that focused on that, that means I can't see the bigger picture around me. If I'm that focused on my body, I am unable to clearly see the suffering of other people and have compassion towards it, right? To see the suffering and turn towards it. And so I was like, enough is enough. I don't want to see this anymore. Like your body is just fine. People are home homeschooling their kids for the first time ever in their lives. Like people, there are nurses and doctors and hospital workers on the front line. People are like, people have lost their jobs. People are facing death they've never faced before in their life. Like their body survived COVID-19 and you're going to sit here and try to tell me that that body is what I'm going to put out here in the universe. This is how I feel about it. And I was highly unprepared for the response. <laughs> and the response was quite large. Um, you've had tens of thousand retweets and likes and shared all over Instagram. Um, and I think it's because it just resonated with so many people. Mm-hmm. I genuinely was not... Like I, that's just how I felt about it. And I was like, well, I hope some, like, I hope three people agree with me. Right. <laughs> I hope three people. But it just didn't, I think it, I think it spoke to so many different people by way of mentioning the different ways that people's bodies have survived shelter in place and sheltered and, and quarantine. Like I'm not homeschooling, but that doesn't mean somebody else isn't homeschooling. I don't, I'm not a nurse. I'm a dietitian, but mm-hmm. I'm still in some ways on the front line. Like I'm on the front line with my clients. I'm on the front line when I go to the hospital you know, it's, I did not intend for it to be as inclusive as it was. It was just me feeling like all these bodies are good bodies because all bodies are good bodies. But the response was what was so interesting to me. And then like, I'm someone that like will like to gauge um, the reception of something. And so I would like look at the comment section of these like resharings and to see like, that it had moved people to tears because they felt seen and validated in that moment. Yeah. It was so comforting to me to know that like, okay, yeah, that's important that people are reminded that their body is good, that, that they're doing the right thing right now. Like you don't have to work out in the middle of a pandemic like that. Just no, no, just, no. no. It, it was like, it really resonated with me as well, because um, it was the acknowledgement of, you know, you're working and homeschooling kids. And, you know, it's, I, it, it's been a struggle. And it was just even that part of the, you know, my body is still getting me through this. 
um, I need, it was interesting because I felt like when I read it, I needed that outside check of reminding me that I'm still okay. Not, do you know what I mean? Not even from a weight related um, aspect, but just that I don't need to be doing all the things that everyone's mm -hmm. posting. Um, mm -hmm. I, I had a similar rant that did not go viral, but it was about the sourdough bread. I'm like, why, why do I keep seeing sourdough breads everywhere on all social media? <laughs> like, I'm so grateful that people can eat bread right now. Can we just please take a moment to be so grateful that people are having bread? Yes. No, it's so true. Oh my gosh. Like the, the number of times in session where I'm like, it's fine to have bread more than once a day. It's fine. We need carbs. Like have the bread. Yes. Yes. I guess my annoyance with the bread is just the starter and the making of it taking days. I'm like, who has days to do that? Well, I, I mean, I, if we've been in quarantine for 11 weeks, we got time now. Yeah. I, and yes, that's, it, I guess I'm running in circles. I'm a grade three and grade six teacher on top of my job in my life. Right I, can't, now. I can't even imagine like, no. but I, I, I think my frustration with sourdough came from like, I went to the store to get something. Oh, I wanted sugar. Cause I didn't have, I ran out of sugar and I was like, why can't I find any sugar? But then I was like, Oh, well everybody's home baking. And then I found a little joy of like, yes, people are baking. Like, yeah. Oh, you love to hear it. Like I hope that they were able to enjoy the thing that they baked without guilt. Yes. I, I hope that for them. Like if you mm -hmm. brought that like baking mix home, I hope you enjoyed it and didn't feel guilty. I hope you enjoyed every bite. I hope you savored it. I hope you have a good memory about it. And that's, um, I keep thinking about the kids who are at home with parents right now. And if the parent like, or their guardians, um, and if the person, the older people that they're with, if they're baking and enjoying it and, and you know have that positive relationship what that means for those kids and their future eating habits versus the kids who have the people baking who are like no no, no we can only have one slice then we have to go give it to the neighbors because i keep it do you know what i'm saying like mm -hmm. our our I, i'm very curious as to what we're going to see our eaters are going to be like in 10 to 15 years um after yeah. this time yeah i think we're going to see I think so much is going to come out of this. And I, I feel the point to remind people that like, we don't have to come out of this feeling any different than we went in. Like no. we don't have to have made any miraculous changes in our person, but I think it's going to be interesting to see the ripple effect of this. I know I've seen the ripple effect in like people having to acknowledge their relationship with food for the first time mm -hmm. because they're home and they don't have any other way to escape. They are yeah. confronted with it head on. Yeah. I think It'll be interesting to see um, the marketing after this because marketing is going to be a nightmare after this. Like to have to witness like diet industry marketing is going to be a nightmare. Like I'm, oof, I can hold off on having to witness that for a few more weeks. But I, think I haven't even thought about that. Oh, you're oh, right. Awful, awful. I don't want to see it. But I think it will be so interesting to see because we'll hear about it in session where it'll be like, oh yeah, when we were home for that time, because they won't even remember why they were home probably, but they're like, yeah, we were home. Mm -hmm. And I just remember my mom wouldn't let us have the sourdough or like all my friends were making sourdough and my mom wouldn't let us make sourdough. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's going to hold with people for a long time. Or the, we had to do the family workouts. I don't know if you've seen those too, which yeah. again, I love the family bonding. I love the being active and then, but I'm also concerned about what was the story kind of being told about why we were doing this activity. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, if it's the, let's do something together as a family because 
you know, we're home together as a family? Or is this, we baked bread today, so now we need to go for a run or whatever. I don't yeah. know. But I, I am, I'm very, um, I'm very interested to see our future eaters. But, you know, it's, I'm sure I will get to see it on social media because that's where I learn about most things now, I think. <laughs> I think that's where a lot of us learn about most things. That's, I mean, that's how I keep my, my thumb on diet culture without having to exist in it. Otherwise, when I, the second I leave social media, I very, I'm very grateful. I don't have to be confronted with diet culture very often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice when you can kind of build your spaces um, to be that way, like working with like like clients who are like-minded or um, other practitioners who are like-minded or, you know, your family members or whomever you interact with are a little bit more not in diet culture. I think that that's, that can be helpful because I feel like diet culture is something that my brain doesn't ever stop with um, because it's so apparent everywhere. Like, you know, random conversation on the street, I find can become very diet culture heavy for no reason other than you're carrying, I don't know, a bottle of water uh, with you and something comes up. It's, yeah, it's just something that I find is very, very pervasive all the time. Very insidious, very um, almost inescapable in that like, as much as I can escape it at the same time, like going out into the world, like you are going to be bombarded with it in ways that you're like, what is diet culture doing here? Mm-hmm. Explain the madness to me. Like, cause once you, once you see it, it's hard to unsee it. And so it's really interesting. Like, cause you mentioned family and my family is very much in diet culture. Like, yeah. It's interesting actually how much in diet culture they are. And so I'll like be having, and they love to call me for nutrition advice. Although I've made it abundantly clear at this point in time that I'm not going to do it for free. Like I'm a dietitian now, like you got to pay me. Yeah. Um, but also it's becoming more and more clear to them that I have such a different practice that you're not going to get the answer you're looking for when you call me because they called me knowing that they wanted a particular answer. They wanted me to validate their form of diet culture. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to do it. And so they learned like, eh, yeah, we better not call her because she's going to tell us to do the exact opposite of what we just wanted her to tell us to do. Yeah. <laughs> I think my family's pretty similar as well. <laughs> They're like, oh no, we're just not going to have this conversation now. <laughs> Yeah, like, don't don't call me with that. Yeah, totally. Just call and tell me about the weather. That's you know, I don't know. That's always my conversation with family. Oh, what's the weather like where you are? Mm-hmm. Um, I know we talked a little bit about using intuitive eating, um, as that was something that you kind of found earlier on in your practice, and then you follow Evelyn because she was in your top four social media. Uh, So Evelyn Tripoli is one of the um, creators along with Elise Rush of intuitive eating. And so I was a little curious, is there, um, do you you use intuitive eating in your practice and how do you use it and how open do you find clients are to it? Do they come to you knowing that intuitive eating is kind of where they're working from? Yes. So the, at this point, I would say 80% of my practice is disordered eating and eating disorders with the goal of like, hello, heading towards intuitive eating. And then there's 20% of my practice that is solely coming to me for intuitive eating. And all of my clients that come to me know, because I've made it abundantly clear on any way, shape or form that you can find me, mm-hmm. that that is what I do. I am weight inclusive. I am, um, Haze informed and I'm intuitive eating informed. So if you come to me asking me for a diet or if you come to me like seeking weight loss, 
we we're going to have a conversation around like, so you looked at everything that I posted and you still (laughs) decided to reach out to me. Like, what were you hoping to get? Yeah. Like that's a very clear conversation. Um, But all of my clients are very much aware that that's where I come from. And that is more often than not why they seek me out. And we just have a good time trying to navigate what that looks like for them. Cause it's so important to remember that it's such an individual thing. Yeah. And the way that I eat intuitively is going to be so different than the way that you eat intuitively. I think it would be hard for me to intuitively eat. Um, um, what are those things called? Um, the fry poutine. It's really hard for me to intuitively <laughs> eat poutine because I live in Texas. We just, we don't have it. Yeah. Like that's just not a thing, <laughs> but I can very much intuitively eat breakfast tacos because that's a very Texas thing. <laughs> well, whereas I would be like breakfast tacos. <laughs> How many can I have? Right. Right. Amazing. I love breakfast tacos, but like it's, it's important to remember that piece. And I find oftentimes we use intuitive eating. At least I do this in my work where I use intuitive eating as sort of a metaphor for their life of like, where else can you apply this philosophy of being intuitive about what you're doing and being respectful towards yourself about what you're doing and um, honoring your desires, your needs, your wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find, um, especially in dialect culture, um, people fear hunger and people um, are nervous of pleasure around food. Do you find that when you're working with individuals mm-hmm. in this area? Those are the two things that I find when I work with intuitive eating with clients that I, like we ditching the diet culture, I usually almost always start with. Um, but hunger and the pleasure around eating are the two that I find clients struggle with the most in kind of, I don't want to say letting go, but letting go of diet culture to go into those principles. Yeah. Letting go of diet culture is so it's because again, it's very insidious. It's in everything that we do, but I think that allowing yourself to be satisfied with something and not feeling guilt or shame afterwards is like, that's such a long process for people. And so I hold a lot of space for them as we're going through that understanding that, um, we've been conditioned to sort of deprive ourselves of pleasure of satisfaction in so many areas of our life because it's seen as this like, Oh my gosh, you found pleasure in food. Like how awful are you? Yeah. When in fact, like food was designed to be enjoyed. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why it has flavor. Yeah. (laughs) So we eat the right stuff. (laughs) We eat it. Yeah. If it didn't have flavor, we wouldn't keep seeking it out. (laughs) Let's let's start with that. Yeah. Um, But to, to allow themselves to to be satisfied and know that they can come back to it and it's not this like shameful thing to be satisfied with food it's just a part of life like the same way that we are satisfied after a nice you know warm shower on a winter day or a nice cool shower after like you know time on the beach like getting the sand off like that Mm -hmm. to me that satisfaction is just as neutral as eating yeah and like doing the work to neutralize satisfaction so it's not seen as this like bad or shameful thing is that's a lot of the work that I do. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think I, I love neutralizing food and the pleasure around food um, as being, you know, it's funny when you're saying a warm shower on a cold day, the first thing that popped in my head was a warm cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but it's so interesting, right? Like just that you gave that example and, and I immediately went to something that, I felt is super comforting. Um, and, and so it, it's so true that when we, we let go of diet culture, we can invite those joys back in, in that way. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's fun to watch them sort of rediscover the things that, that bring them joy. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of work with my clients around like, we'll start at the beginning of work. I'm like, so like, what do you do for fun? And they can never really give me answers. I know. <laughs> it's really heartbreaking. And then as we go, they start telling me these things that they're doing for fun. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's so interesting. You sound like you're really enjoying that. And to hear them talk about finding joy, finding satisfaction in the things that they're doing in life. I'm like, yes, like you, you're getting it. You're moving along in the direction. Like, I'm proud of you. Good job to, to see that light come on in their life again. Of Like, I'm allowed to enjoy things. I'm allowed to have fun. I'm allowed to, to do stuff. Like it's, it's what keeps me coming back. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Or when my favorite, one of my favorites is when you either hear a, I love this food and I haven't eaten it in so long or that I actually don't like this food. I don't know why I've been eating it because it was like a, a wrapped up in diet food. Mm-hmm. I love it when they, when someone discovers, I don't actually like it. I don't know why I keep eating it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, let's go towards the things that we like. Yes. I Smile. think my favorite sentence that I've heard so far was, oh, I didn't have time to think about that in terms of like, they didn't have time to, to overthink food. Oh, that's incredible. And I was like, yes, you go. Like, yeah. like my cheerleader comes out and I'm just like, yes, yes. Like in session, I'm always like, I try to like animate myself a bit to help them understand, like, like I'm genuinely proud of you. And mm-hmm. so in that moment, it's just like, yes, like how much freedom do you have to have to be able to say, oh, I didn't have time to overly think about food because I was so focused on something else. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, th- those are the moments where I feel very, um, I feel so happy in the direction that I went with my career. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. grateful. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I just have to tell you, um, I've never spoken to you in person. I've reached out to you through social media, and you're even more of a delight than I was expecting. You, I just, the energy and um, just the joy that comes out of you when you speak, I have just so enjoyed this conversation. I just had to let you know that. Thank you. Um, and I like to wrap up our, um, the podcast with asking our guests, what is nourishing you now? Right now, it is a very even split um, between either a really warm mug of co- like tea at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And my current favorite is this gingerbread spice tea. I'm aware that it's the middle of May as we're recording this, but I have no shame. Oh, no. That sounds delicious. <laughs> it's like gingerbread spice, and I put creamer in it, and it's so relaxing and so soothing. And then it's also time away from my phone. Mm-hmm. Because again, I spend a lot of time on, not too much time on social media, but it is a good bulk of like how I drive my business. Um, But being able to like put my phone down and read a book has been so comforting to me and so relaxing. And I found myself much more creative and much more uh, flexible in my thinking, Mm -hmm. having like having that time to just like read and and relax and meditate and do whatever I'm going to do towards the end of my day. And also if I have time in the morning, sometimes at the start of my day. Yeah. That's lovely. I love that tea. I, I, uh, there's one similar here and I drink it in the summer. Like it's not a, you know, December tea. It's an all year tea in my opinion. Um, are you reading anything exciting right now? Um, I'm, I, I 
believe the term is bibliophile in that I love books. Okay. And so on my nightstand, I have 15 books. So if I'm, to answer your question, yes, I am reading. <laughs> <laughs> I am the exact same. I have a, a corner beside the dresser <laughs> that has, I'm not even going to lie. I recently took a picture of it because someone didn't believe me. I think there's like 30 books on it. And I'm like, I kind of like rotate. I I don't want to let, I'm terrible. I don't want to let some stories go. So I might, you know, stop reading them for a little bit and come back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have Mm -hmm. so many on my nightstand. I am currently reading, and this should tell you a lot about my person. Um, One of the things I'm reading before bed is the trauma-informed approaches to eating disorders. Oh yeah, that's on my list. (laughs) That's what I read before bed. Yes, I am rereading White Fragility Before Bread right now because I feel it's timely reread right now. It's a very, very timely re- uh, reread. I'm also reading How to Be an Anti-Racist. Oh, I haven't read that one. That one is really good. I highly recommend it. Um, I, found, I found myself more often recently on social media pointing out the fact that like either you are actively anti-racist or you are passively racist, mm-hmm. like passively allowing racism. Um, just in the ways that it shows up in diet culture, the ways that it showed up in some recent events. And so I, I like to point out, like, either you were actively fighting against something or you were passively allowing it to exist. There is no middle ground on that. Yeah, I agree. And I wrote that title down <laughs> as you said it. So I will add it to my pile of 30 books. Yeah, that's quickly becoming one of my favorites and one that I keep, like, like I'm savoring it where I'm, like, reading a little bit slower because I'm like, man, this is good. But then also it's really challenging. Mm-hmm. I do go reread the ones that I find challenging or that I, I want to make sure it's really cemented in my brain. I might read a, the same book three years in a row. I don't know if that's normal or bizarre. But. No, that makes total sense. I have, um, it's a running joke with me and my clients whenever I pull out a book. You can tell I've read it if I have sticky notes. Yes. And so I'm constantly writing notes on the side because that's how I studied in college. And so mm-hmm. it was like, oh, if I write this on a sticky note, it sticks better in my brain. And yeah. so then I like put it on that page. And so then I can easily be like, oh yeah, this is the thing that I'm talking about. Or like, I'll flip to it and be like, see, it's not just something that I said. It's here in the book. Someone else said the thing. Yeah. But that's, that's how I, I kind of commit these things to memories by like writing them down on a sticky note and like putting it in the book. See, the sticky note idea is quite brilliant. I have to say I am a, a scrap piece of paper person. And so my books are full of papers and then you open them and they fall out. But mm. people have borrowed books and come back and been like, oh, here's your daughter's kindergarten report card that was on page. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, thanks. That's what I use that day. Um, Thank you so much for everything you have discussed today. If people are interested in finding you, where in the um, interwebs, can they search you down? I am definitely on the internets. I'm not on TikTok, though. I should preface this. I'm not on TikTok. I'm not one of those cool dietitians. Me um, neither. I've, I, I I'm scared of it. <laughs> I can't. I used to be an early adopter. Now I'm definitely a super late adopter. If not, like I'm not adopting it at all. Um, I am on Instagram at the encouraging dietitian, just like encouraging dietitian. And then I'm on Twitter at encouraging RD. Mm-hmm. And then if they want to listen to my podcast, it is on all major streaming platforms right now. And it is intuitive eating for the culture. Lovely. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I am so appreciative. And we will put links to all of that um, in the show notes. 
And I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Nourish Circle. Don't forget to like us on iTunes or Spotify and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. (music) 